Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to the Dirsch Show. Um, today is uh, Juneteenth, which is now a national holiday for the last few years. It's a, a great uh, reminder of the horrors of enslavement that this country uh, perpetrated for, for so many years and the Jim Crow horrors uh, that followed. For those who are you unaware of the meaning of, of Juneteenth, it was uh, the day um, back in um, 1865, the year the war ended, the year Lincoln was assassinated, when uh, the enslaved uh, African-Americans of Texas learned for the first time that Lincoln had um, emancipated uh, them um, uh, earlier, but they didn't know about it. So for years, uh, African-American communities and ordinary folks have in private basically celebrated this, um, the end of enslavement. It was a good article in today's New York Times by uh, a woman, a historian who, who talked about how as a young person, she celebrated it uh, really locally among, among folks. And she was speculating as to whether or not making it a national holiday will impact local events. And she's calling for it to be both a national and, and a local event for the black community. Um, and so it really makes you think, though, just think in your own minds, can you ever imagine somebody owning another person, somebody selling and buying another person. It just seems unimaginable to the, uh, the mind of, of, of current people and good people doing it. Thomas Jefferson, who wrote that all men are created equal and who had some of the most glorious writing um, from the time he wrote the declaration to the time he, he died um, uh, almost 50 years later. Um, it's just remarkable. Uh, and there were those who remarkably stood up against it. Alexander Hamilton, who grew up on a slave island and, and, and saw enslavement with his own eyes. And Alexander Hamilton, all of his life, uh, opposed it strongly, even though he married into a family which had some slaves, as most families, both in the North and the South, did, but I hope everybody will use the occasion of this holiday to reflect on what are we doing now in the year 2023, which 100 years from now, our great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren will look back and say, how could good people like our great-great-grandparents have done that? Uh, it, it's always an interesting thing to wonder what we are doing now, because the folks who enslaved other people, I'm sure their children thought they were wonderful people and they were wonderful people to their family. They just did a terrible, a terrible, terrible thing. And it's, it's so important to reflect on that and ask yourself the question, could you have ever owned an enslaved person? Is it something that you might imagine if you were living in 
South Carolina uh, or Virginia in you know 1848, 1849, whether if you had inherited slaves, you would have freed them or kept them. It's it's such a hard question to think about. But I just want to make sure we all do. It's, it's a good day for us to reflect on that issue. Two other issues before we get to uh, espionage. Uh, number one, uh, you know, I've called, as you know, for the trial of Donald Trump to be on television so that everybody can decide for themselves what the evidence is. <laughs> Today's paper, they were even complaining about the courtroom artist. Um, people on the left were saying... He, he made Trump look too good and, and too young and too thin. You can't even agree on what the defendant looks like. It's the best argument for why you have to see him with your own eyes. So I hope that all sides, pro, anti, Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberal, anybody should demand that we see the trials of Donald Trump on television so we can judge for ourselves. Also, since the last show, uh, Daniel Ellsberg died. I knew Dan. Um, I was um, peripherally involved in his case um, and directly involved in another Pentagon Papers uh, case. I represented Senator Mike Gravel from Alaska, who read the Pentagon Papers, which Daniel Ellsberg provided. And, and Senator Gravel read the Pentagon Papers into the congressional record claiming a right to do so under the speech and debate clause. And they opened up an investigation uh, against him because he wasn't on a committee that had anything to do with the Pentagon Papers or the war in Vietnam. He was on, I think, the Buildings and Grounds Committee, but he just took advantage of his membership or chairmanship, I don't remember, and read the entire Pentagon Papers into the congressional record. He must have had a very hoarse voice. But um, we'll talk more about Daniel Ellsberg and his legacy, um, hero, villain, mixed, somewhere in between. You'll make up your own mind, but I'll give you at least some facts, some of which you're not aware of, because I some, have some very close personal knowledge of, of Ellsberg and of the facts of his case and, and what it, it led to. And we'll, we'll talk about that in the coming days as well. But today I want to talk about the use of the word espionage. As you know, Donald Trump has been charged under the espionage statute. And that's led a lot of people in the media. You hear it all the time. Oh, he's been charged with espionage. He's been charged with espionage. He's guilty of espionage. He's been selling secrets to the Iranians. He's been selling secrets to his friends in China. Espionage, espionage. Yeah, that's the name of the statute, but it has nothing to do with espionage. We know what espionage means. Espionage means giving or selling secrets to the enemy. Um, the Rosenbergs uh, were convicted and executed for espionage. Benedict Arnold committed espionage. Uh, others in our history have been convicted, some executed, many in prison for espionage. There are people today in prison, former FBI agents, uh, former other government officials, for espionage. But read the indictment against Donald Trump. The indictment itself never mentions espionage, and none of the charges against them relate to espionage or for giving secrets over to an enemy. It's just the name of the statute. And yet the media uses the word uh, constantly. So I have made a recommendation. I have an article in today's uh, New York Post in New York, in which I argue that his lawyers should immediately make what's called a motion in limine, 
The motion in limine is a legal motion in front of the judge asking the judge to prevent the prosecutor from doing something. So in this motion in limine, the prosecutor would be told, if the Trump people listen to my advice, they should be, prosecutors should be told never, ever, ever, ever to use the word espionage in the courtroom and certainly not in front of the jury or in press conferences or anything like that, but certainly not in front of the jury. And the judge should admonish the prosecution. If you use the word espionage, there will be a mistrial. And as some of you may know, although most mistrials can result in a new trial, if the mistrial results from deliberate and willful government misconduct, courts have held that no, there won't be a mistrial. So the judge ought to admonish the prosecution. If the word espionage comes out of your mouth or the mouth of any of your witnesses, that's going to be the end of this case. And it's very important that that be done. Look, it's going to be hard enough to get a fair jury in any case involving Donald Trump. Uh, people either love him or hate him. Uh, there's a lot, uh, very little nuance when it comes to Donald Trump. And everybody knows him. He's one of the most famous people in the world. And um, everybody who's going to be on the jury veneer uh, will know him. Um, and many will be his neighbors because the trial will probably, we don't know for sure, probably take place in Palm Beach County. I've been in the Palm Beach County uh, courthouse. And um, in that county, and there, there are people who are pro-Trump, against Trump. There are a lot of people who work for Trump. Obviously, none of them can serve on the, on the jury or people who are related to people who work for Trump. They can't serve on the jury. But everybody's going to have an opinion. And, you know, the people who want to get on the jury will raise their hand and say, oh, of course, I can be totally objective. Yeah, uh, I've heard about it. I've read about it. But uh, I'll put it out of my mind. I'll be objective. Those who don't want to be on the jury will say, oh, no, no, I read about it. And I, I can't I can't be objective. I think he's either guilty or not guilty. Potential jurors know how to manipulate the system to either try to serve or not serve as their uh, preferences are for. There's no reason why the word espionage should ever come up in the trial. Never, ever, ever. No reason whatsoever and every reason why it shouldn't. Um, judges generally in cases like this balance the probative impact against the prejudicial impact. There's no probative impact. There's no probative. Let me give you a hypothetical. Let's assume Congress is busy and it passes a statute covering a lot of things and it names the statute. Because statutes get names. They get a short name and a long name. Um, so the short name of this statute is the Espionage Act of 1917. The long name is, you know, an act to prevent uh, secrets, et cetera, et cetera, and to do many, many other things. Let's assume Congress is busy at the end of the session, and it puts together a whole bunch of things, and it names the statute the Prevention of Child Molestation and Inside Trading Statute, and it covers both people who molest children and people who manipulate stocks. And so some guy is prosecuted for manipulating stocks. Can you imagine the prosecutor getting up and saying, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, this man is on trial under the child molestation, child molestation and insider training act. Of course, that would be struck. And of course, they'd have to be a mistrial. And what's worse? Well, I don't want to do comparisons, but let me tell you, there's hardly anything worse than than espionage. The Rosenbergs were executed for espionage. She falsely, because she was innocent, uh, he was guilty, 
but he wasn't guilty of what they accused him of. He was guilty of trying to tell, sell, uh, or give, rather, not sell, uh, give the secrets of the atomic bomb to Russia, but somebody had beaten him to it. Klaus Fuchs in England had beaten him to it. And so the Russians already had the secret of the atomic bomb, which, by the way, by the time the Rosenberg trial occurred, wasn't much of a secret. Uh, it wasn't the matter of knowing how to do it. It was a matter of being able to do it um, with uranium and all that kind of thing. Right now, everybody knows the secret of how to make an atomic bomb. You can look it up online. It's a question of how to go about doing it. But, but there was a fervor of McCarthyism in the air and the Rosenbergs were both um, executed. My, my, my cousin, Rabbi Irving Kozlow, uh, was the rabbi who presided over their death, and he never, never forgot that. Um, in fact, they were supposed to be killed on Saturday, um, and uh, he made a, the rabbi made a request to the judge, who was also Jewish, Irving Kaufman, saying, it really isn't right to execute a Jewish man on the Jewish Sabbath on Saturday. So what do you think the judge did? He said, you're right. We'll do it the day before on Friday. So they executed him a day early. Uh, in any event, that's the connotation, the denotation, the meaning of espionage. And it's going to be hard enough to get a jury that's in any way fair. And the judge has to go out of her way, has to do this. And she's under a lot of criticism. And she may react to the criticism by leaning over backwards to show that she's not prejudiced in favor of Trump. And I don't know whether she's going to let television in the courtroom or not, but she should certainly never allow the word espionage to enter that courtroom. Something else, the media shouldn't use that term. The media shouldn't use it. It's not even in the indictment. I have to give Jack Smith a little bit of credit for that. He could have, in the indictment itself, and it's a singing indictment, it's a talking indictment, it you know, deals with the evidence. It goes well beyond what an indictment has to do. For that, he doesn't get credit. But at least he didn't harp on any espionage, espionage, espionage. He talked about possession of classified material and showing a classified document to an unauthorized writer uh, who was writing a book on uh, the chief of staff, Meadows, and he waved it in front of them. Uh, I've gotten some emails saying, well, how do you know it really happened? Maybe it was made up. Maybe the tape is fake. No, that, that's not the reality. If that were the reality, believe me, Donald Trump would be all over that. It's an authentic, genuine tape. Maybe there's more to the tape. Maybe it's out of context. Maybe we don't know what was on the paper. The paper hasn't been uh, found by the Justice Department, as far as we know. It certainly hasn't been turned over to the defense, as far as I know. And so, you know, maybe it wasn't classified. Maybe he was bluffing. I don't know. But I do know that the recording uh, is, uh, is genuine in, in which you hear the paper rustling and in which he said, you know, I could have declassified this when I was president. Now I can't. It's still secret. That does constitute a legally admissible, from everything I know, admission that he was aware that at least this piece of paper was not classified. And so it does undercut his claim, not under oath, but his claim to the media that he declassified everything. Or maybe he didn't say that. Maybe he just said he declassified what he took home. But obviously, this was somewhere we could have access to. In fact, in the tape, he basically says, I just came upon this. And he was using it to try to prove that he was right and General Milley was wrong 
about who wanted to attack e Iran and what the battle plans uh, were. Now, you know, I'm sure many presidents have, have, have told reporters, journalists, sometimes off the record, sometimes on the record, things they shouldn't have told them. And this is uh, among the things he shouldn't have told them. Look, it's not the first time this happened. Donald Trump, in the beginning of his uh, tenure, um, told apparently told uh, a Russian diplomat about a secret that uh, ISIS or one of the terrorist groups had developed a technology for planting bombs on computers that might evade detection on airplanes and got a lot of criticism for that, including for me. I wrote an op-ed piece saying that it was a dangerous disclosure of secret and classified uh, material. Again, uh, I wish Trump had hung in his Oval Office and in his home in Mar-a-Lago the, the stuffed Trump, the stuffed fish that says, if I had only kept my mouth shut, I'd still be, I'd still be swimming. So, um, you know, Trump has caused some of his own, his own problems, including with his conversations with lawyers. But he didn't cause the problem of being indicted under the Espionage Act. Look, the Espionage Act is a terrible, terrible law. It was passed in 1917 in order to suppress dissent. Uh, it was designed to make sure that people who opposed the First World War um, would go to jail. And many of them did, including Eugene V. Debs, who ran for president of the United States and got over a million votes, went to jail for violating the Espionage Act. Uh, Assange has been charged with violating the Espionage Act. Daniel Ellsberg was charged with violating the Espionage Act. The charges were eventually uh, dropped. Uh, Manning, um, many, many others. I've defended people charged with violating the Espionage Act. They were charged with espionage, any of them. They were charged with leaking information to the media, that's been the major charge. That's Assange and that's, you know, WikiLeaks and that's um, obviously Dan Ellsberg. Um, but uh, the word espionage is there. The statute should be amended. It has been amended on numerous occasions to take out some of the worst aspects of it. It should also take out the title uh, of it. Uh, the Espionage Act has been the most despised act on the books by liberals, progressives, um, and left-wingers. Not anymore. Now it's their favorite statute because it covers Donald Trump. And if it didn't cover Donald Trump, many of the same Get Trump crowd, that's the name of my book, Get Trump, many of the same Get Trump crowd would be asking to expand the statute and make it cover Donald Trump. They love this statute now because they're a bunch of hypocrites. If the statute hurts their people, they don't like it. If it hurts their enemies, they like it. No principles, no attempt at neutrality, no attempt to meet the shoe on the other foot test. Just a question of rights for me, but not for thee. Due process for me, but not for thee. Free speech for me, but not for thee. That's the world we live in uh, today. And you just go down the list. You can find over and over again rights that the left has always claimed for itself and for its people. They deny to Donald Trump and others they don't like. Take, for example, the January 6th speech. Every liberal, every progressive, every left winger would have said if the speech had been made by somebody on the left who said, I want you to go protest peacefully and patriotically. Oh, that's protected free speech under the Brandenburg principle. But suddenly these very same people are saying, no, it was an impeachable offense to make that speech, including some prominent First Amendment advocates and some prominent 
free speech advocates and civil libertarians. Hypocrisy just reigns. It just reigns. And it, it reigns cats and dogs. Um, it, it's just impossible. And when you try to be neutral, when you try to be objective, when you try to pass the shoe on the other foot test, everybody hates you because you're not good enough for the one side and you're much too bad for the other side. Nuance, nuance is the enemy of partisanship and extremism on both sides. And we live in an age when there is no nuance. Again, going back to the other day, that's why we need to have this trial on television, not because of, of nuance, but because if you don't have it on television, people will learn about the trial through the prism of either right or left-wing partisans who will interpret the evidence in a way that fits their partisan agenda. We should have the right to see it with our own eyes. We should have the right to see whether Donald Trump looks young or old, whether he looks thin or fat. Uh, we shouldn't have to depend on a courtroom artist or on the critics of the courtroom artist. We shouldn't have to depend on uh, MSNBC's analysis, not an analysis, it's advocacy. And by the way, I watched ABC, it was no better. Um, you watched all the people from ABC, they were all extremely one-sided. Nobody uh, on the day when he was arraigned gave anything like a nuanced discussion of the pros and the cons. And if you ask them, they'll say, what do you mean? There's no, there's no pros, it's all cons. There's no pros. The case is simple. Trump is a villain. He's committed horrible crimes. He should be convicted too bad. The Constitution requires a trial. It would be much better if we could just put him in jail immediately. That's what they're essentially saying. They don't use that language because they know it will backfire, but that's certainly what they're thinking. They're thinking that due process is a barrier to justice, that uh, due process may actually give him a defense may actually result in a hung jury, may actually result in dismissal of some of the charges. God forbid, we don't want that. The last thing we want is a fair trial. We want a result. We want conviction, jail time, make sure he's not running for president, no matter what it takes. That's the whole thesis of my book, Get Trump. I didn't vote for him. I don't want to see him reelected. If he's guilty, he should be convicted. If he's innocent, he should be acquitted. If there's any doubt, he should be acquitted. And yet, you can't make those arguments today. Today, it's Red Sox versus Yankees. Um, as I've said before, it's much worse. I'm a Red Sox fan. But when Jeter came up to bat, I applauded. When Mariano Rivera came to pitch on the ninth inning, I applauded. I saw both sides of these issues, unlike the way people see it today. So speaking of partisanship, let's get to some of the letters. Um, well, there's, there's one that's relevant right on this point. So let me read it. Uh, professor, an individual named Norm Eisen, who is an attorney that is at the Brookings Institute, is claiming that if Trump is indicted for January 6th and he gets convicted for either insurrection or seditious conspiracy, it would trigger the disqualification clause of the 14th Amendment, preventing Trump from being president. Is there any truth to what he's claiming? Well, Norm was my former research assistant and my friend, and he was the U.S. ambassador to the Czech Republic and great ambassador. 
invited me, my wife, and my granddaughter to stay in the ambassador's house in Prague. Wonderful, wonderful guy, but he's wrong about this. The uh, 14th Amendment was limited to people who had fought for the South during the Civil War. It wasn't intended to apply to an ordinary uh, criminal uh, conviction, even if you use the words sedition or um, uh, uh, conspiracy or insurrection. Again, you can name the statute anything you want, but what Donald Trump said and did on January 6th was not sedition or insurrection. It was a protest. It was protected by two provisions of the First Amendment, obviously the one about freedom of speech and freedom of expression, but also the right to petition the government for a redress of grievances and peacefully to assemble. He told them peacefully to assemble. So no, you can't disqualify him. Norm, you're wrong. You're allowing partisanship to take over from your otherwise excellent legal analysis. Okay. Mr. Dershowitz, you seem to be a strong proponent of strict separation of church and state. Absolutely, I am. Do you think religion should be completely divorced from all aspects of public life? I do. As an agnostic, what do you make of the famous saying of John Adams? Quote, our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. But let's understand what John Adams meant by a religious people. He meant a Protestant, a Protestant Christian. He would not have applied it to a Catholic. He would not have applied it to a Jew. He would not have applied it to a Muslim. He would not have applied it to a Buddhist. How do we know that? Read his letters to Thomas Jefferson. If he had his way, he wouldn't have even allowed Catholics and certainly not Catholic priests to live in the United States. He was a very, very rigid anti-Catholic bigot, as was Thomas Jefferson. And so it's, it was always interesting to me that people like Pat Buchanan were against separation of church and state. Buchanan was a very religious Catholic. He didn't know history, though. He didn't know that one of the primary reasons behind separation of church and state, which was developed by, by the way, a Protestant minister, uh, Roger Williams, who talked about church and state as the garden in the wilderness, the church being the garden and the wilderness being the state, was against Catholicism. It was against Judaism. They were not regarded as moral religions. To his credit, George Washington changed that when he wrote his letter to the synagogue in Newport. He says of bigotry, we will hear no more. Even of toleration, we will hear no more, as if one group tolerates the other. As long as you behave yourself, you can live each under his own fig tree. That was a remarkable break with what many other American fathers uh, believed. And so, you know, you ask about that. John Adams said that before uh, he dies, uh, most Americans will be buried as Unitarians. Well, what are Unitarians? Unitarians, the joke is, Unitarians believe in at most one God. But Unitarians don't believe in the Trinity. They don't believe in uh, the uh, divinity of Jesus. They don't believe in many of the core aspects of the Christian religion, certainly not of the, of the Catholic religion, but even of the uh, uh, Congregationalist religion, which was prominent in Boston at, at the time. So, you know, the history of separation of church and state is very complicated, very interesting. And, uh, and remember, too, that Adams was something like a deist. Jefferson was definitely a deist. What's a deist? A deist is someone 
who believes that there was a creator, a clockmaker, but that God doesn't intervene in the affairs of human beings. And he, you know, as you know, Jefferson wrote the Jefferson Bible, which talked about the great moral teachings of, of Jesus, of Nazareth, but denied his divinity and denied any of the miracles. And that Bible, the Jefferson Bible, is now used as the Bible of the Unitarian Church. So read history. It's fascinating, particularly the history of separation of church and state. It's very, very interesting. You know, Jefferson's books were taken out of libraries uh, because of his deism and his rejection, essentially, of the tenets of, of Christianity. Very interesting to know if the sales of Dersh's book, Get Trump, shot upwards when the indictment was laid in Florida. The professor has produced a very useful guide out to how these cases might play out. Yeah, uh, you know, the, the book has done very well and I hope everybody reads it because getting Get Trump is an answer to Get Trump in many ways. It sends a message that there are people watching you and uh, that there are people who are holding you accountable. So I hope people will read, will read Get Trump. Okay, this is an interesting one. If, if the judge decides to dismiss the classified documents case against Trump, is her decision final? Could she be overruled by a higher court? As usual, my answer is, it depends. It depends on when she dismisses it. If she dismisses it as a legal matter, then it can be appealed. If she says the indictment is insufficient, which it's not, so she won't do that. If she finds that the government committed uh, misconduct and dismisses that, that's appealable. But if halfway through the trial or at the end of the trial, she says, you know, there's just not enough evidence to go to the jury to prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt and dismisses it. That's not appealable. So it's really interesting of when, when the dismissal occurs. Okay, um, last couple of questions. Professor, I realize there's a dilemma. If Trump wants to sue Project 65, which I hope he does, he would need a lawyer for that. <laughs> but then no lawyer will do that because of Project 65. Great point, except I'll do it. If he sues Project 65, I will assist him in that case, provide legal research on that case, and even contribute to that case, because Project 65 is such an evil, McCarthyite, anti-constitutional, horrible group of people that I will do everything in my legal, ethical, and power, and moral power to destroy and defeat Project 65. Now, they may disqualify me because... Project 65 filed a grievance against me, but uh, I, I, I don't think they'll be able to throw me out of the case. So I would, um, I would, I would uh, volunteer to help anybody who sues Project 65 or who brings a bar complaint against Project, uh, Project 65. It's the right thing to do. Final comment, you know, during the last show, there was a little bit of a glitch. And so my son, the producer and the, the technical whiz that puts this show and makes it possible and brings it from me to you was shown on uh, TV and a couple of the comments were very nice comments about him. The Dersh's son looks pretty chill. And so I thank you for that. Uh, my son is very chill and he's doing a great job producing the show, helping me come up with the topics, helping me uh, find information and doing all the technical stuff. I don't even know how to turn on a computer. So uh, he and my wife, when she's here, uh, help me at least turn on the computer, but Elon, my son, and the producer is here the whole time with me. So I want to publicly and privately thank you very much, Elon, for 
making this show possible and bringing it to so many people. So uh, keep watching. Uh, tomorrow, we'll probably talk about Dan Ellsberg. We always are available to talk about breaking subjects any day now. The Supreme Court will come down with its decision on race-based affirmative action. Obviously, we'll talk about that as soon as that comes down. And so until then, be well. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.